Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin. She is a certified financial planner, and she is the investment news contributing editor particularly uh, specializing in retirement-related topics. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Mary Beth. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Much appreciated. Just give people a little bit of your background as to how you've come to where you are today. Well, I've been a lifelong journalist, always writing about money, starting my career as a Capitol Hill reporter where I covered things like Social Security reform, tax reform, and federal budget in the 80s. I went on to have a syndicated newspaper column uh, in about 200 papers where I wrote for and about older people and then became the tax and retirement editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine before going to Investment News about 10 years ago. And along the way, I became a certified financial planner. Very good. So let's kind of look at the broad view of retirement today before we get into some of the specifics about Social Security and so on. A lot of baby boomers are now in their 60s and 70s hitting retirement. In general, are people in this generation in better shape or worse shape than past generations as they enter retirement? Well, it's hard to generalize, but the feeling is most boomers are not doing as well as perhaps their parents or even grandparents did because many of those older generations had pensions, guaranteed income for the rest of their lives. Most of the baby boomers may have started out in the workforce where pensions existed, but then transferred to 401k. And that was largely dependent on how much the workers put into their own retirement accounts. So the stock market's been on a boom for 12 years now, quite a long time. you think that would have feathered the nest eggs of retirement people in the retirement, they'd be doing pretty well now. Is that not the case? Well, certainly a lot of people who had money in the markets have done extremely well. And those are often the same people who are homeowners and saw their home values appreciate. So yes, there is a chunk of the baby boomer generation who will be very prepared for retirement, but it's certainly not universal, unfortunately. And for some people, the only guaranteed income they'll see in retirement is Social Security. And while very important, it was never designed to be the sole source of retirement income. So how important is Social Security for people? I heard that some, some pretty big percentage is their only source of income or 90% of their income. What are the numbers as to how significant Social Security is for a lot of retired people today? I think it's significant to the majority of Americans. Now, certainly the way Social Security benefits are designed is they look at your lifetime earnings, which they define as your top 35 years of highest earnings, to take an average lifetime career earnings, and then they apply a benefit formula to it. Now, lower income workers will end up getting a higher replacement rate, maybe 40, even 50% of what they earned during their working years in the form of their Social Security benefit. But from a dollar standpoint, higher income workers who made more throughout their lifetime will get a bigger dollar benefit in terms of Social Security, but it will represent a smaller replacement rate, a smaller percentage of what they earned when they were still working. 
So let's talk about the financial solvency of Social Security. People say, oh, it's way off in the future. There's really no problem. Congress will deal with it later. What, what is your outlook for Social Security? There are different numbers as to when they're going to run out of money. What are the numbers that you hear? I guess they actually have a report every year from the, uh, the trustees. That's correct. Every year, the Social Security and Medicare trustees issue a report. It's normally in April. Last year, it was in August, the latest ever, which basically is a snapshot of the uh, financial stability of the systems. Let me explain briefly what funds Social Security. Those FICA payroll taxes that come out of every one of our paychecks are the dedicated tax revenues that fund Social Security benefits for today's retirees. So in other words, the taxes paid by today's workers are funding the benefits of today's retirees. And all we future retirees are very hopeful that um, the workers at that time will be funding our benefits. It's a pay-as-you-go system. Now, we keep hearing Social Security is going bankrupt. Social Security, the trust funds are running dry. What does that mean? Well, we have to go back to 1983, the last time Social Security was really in bad financial states. And they did a Social Security reform bill back then. They did a lot of really smart things, one of which they said, look at this huge baby boomer generation, 76 million plus people. We're going to need a lot of money to fund their benefits when they start retiring around 2010. So right now in the early 80s, let's collect more FICA tax revenues than we need right now and stockpile that money for future benefits. And that effectively is what the trust funds are. So all the way for the last almost 40 years, those trust funds have been building up. Around 2010, the first wave of the baby boomers started retiring. And for the first time, the FICA payroll taxes alone were not enough to fund those benefits. So in addition to those payroll taxes, uh, the government started tapping the interest that was paid on the trust funds. That was fine for the past decade, 2021. Even that wasn't enough money to fund all the Social Security benefits. So in addition to the FICA tax revenues and the interest on the trust funds, now the government has started tapping the trust funds themselves. And if Congress does nothing between now and about 2034, when those trust funds are expected to run dry, there would still be enough money from ongoing FICA tax revenues to pay about 75% of promised benefits. Now, nobody, you, me, or anybody else in this country is going to be satisfied with 75% of promised Social Security benefits. It's a very fixable situation. At this point, Congress has more than a dozen years to deal with it. Those Certainly, the sooner they tackle it, the better. And it's not rocket science, but nobody's going to be happy. It's probably going to be a combination of, you know, slightly higher payroll taxes and maybe tweaks to the benefit formula and maybe even raising the full retirement age even further, maybe even to 70. But hold on, it probably would apply to today's two-year-olds, not today's retirees. So there are ways to fix it, but Congress needs to start getting busy. So why do they not have the political will to do this, knowing this looming catastrophe is out there with a huge amount of voters very interested in it? Why haven't they dealt with it so far? Well, uh, several things. One, they've been busy with things like the pandemic and now, you know, war in the Ukraine, things that are distracting. The other thing is from the politician standpoint, 
they don't have any good news for you. They're going to either say, I'm going to raise your taxes or cut your benefits, vote for me. And they know that older people tend to vote in higher percentages than younger vote voters. So it's a very powerful voting block. Having said that, they will fix it. Um, and I can give you a, a string of ideas of what they may do, but they'll probably wait to the last minute, just like they did back in 1983, when Social Security was in danger of not being able to pay benefits. But they did it in time, the system was rescued. And here's the interesting part. What they did back in 1983 could have fixed the system in perpetuity, but two things happened. One, all that extra money they were raising for the trust funds, the original idea was, it's going to be in a lockbox. Nobody can touch this money. It's only for Social Security payments. Well, unfortunately, that didn't work. Congress actually authorized that the federal government could borrow from the trust funds, but it does pay back with interest, which is one of the sources of funding for um, Social Security benefits. The other thing is how much people pay in FICA taxes. Um, each year, you are taxed up to a certain amount. This year it's $147,000. Your first $147,000 of wages are fully taxed for FICA purposes. If you earn more than that, you do not pay any additional taxes to fund Social Security. You pay a little bit for Medicare, but not Social Security. If 90% of US wages were taxed for FICA purposes, Social Security would never run out of money. However, because so many people make so much more than that taxable maximum right now, we are currently only taxing about 83% of U.S. wages. So is that likely that they would either raise the cap dramatically from 147000 or possibly even eliminate it altogether? There's been talk on both sides. Um, it's very hard to fix a program like this strictly on the tax side. It usually has to be balanced with some tweaks to the benefits. But for example, if you raised uh, the FICA tax rate by one-tenth of one percent every year for the next 25 years, it solves about half of the, the funding problem. Amazing, with such small numbers have such a huge impact, because I guess you're dealing with trillions of dollars here. Right. And you hear things like the Biden administration has talked about, well, let's take the cap off households that earn more than $400,000, that you would pay taxes up to the first $147,000, then there'd be this donut hole where you wouldn't be taxed, and then you'd start getting taxed again if you earn more than that. Well, frankly, there's not enough people in that pool to make a huge difference. Um, as opposed to taking the total cap off. Again, you could solve 50, 60% of the funding problem, but you still need to do other things like perhaps gradually raising the full retirement age. If you did it to 70 and phased it in over 25 years or so, that solves about the other half of the problem. But there are bigger issues to discuss, and I know you're coming up on a break, so we may wanna save that for after your break. Yeah, but as far as raising retirement age, I mean, most people are retiring later, uh, although I guess there'd be a lot of people complaining to raising retirement age would not be good, because a lot of people, I think it's, what, 40% of 
start taking Social Security at 62, the first moment they're able to do so. Is that right? It, it is true. Um, in the past, it was the majority of people used to take it at 62. Now it's, it's less than half. But if a lot of it depends on what kind of work you did. If you were a construction worker on your feet all the time, you may not be physically able to work beyond 62, as opposed to somebody like you and I that sit at our desk and talk over our laptops, we could probably go to 75 or 80. So we have to look at the nature of work and how do we make this fair to all the workers who pay into the system where some are uh, able to work longer than others. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin. She's a certified financial planner. Uh, she is the investment news contributing editor uh, uh, with expertise in retirement issues. She's got a book out called uh, Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits, which you can find at her website, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to open source intelligence, a multi-billion dollar and growing market, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest where growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns, and many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 40 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Syabra, whose AI-powered SaaS platform analyzes billions of online conversations to help companies gain authentic consumer insights while fighting disinformation in real time. Syabra is trusted by global media giants consumer brands, and high-level government agencies. Invest today at our crowd. Invest in Syabra at OURCROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's MyPassiveIncome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, 
positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin. She is the contributing editor at Investment News, an expert on retirement planning and Social Security. Her book is called Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits, and you can get a copy of that at her website, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. Welcome back to the show, Mary Beth. Thanks, Jordan. Happy to be here. So we were saying roughly 40% of the people take Social Security starting the first moment they're able to at 62. But talk to us a little bit about making that decision of when you want to start Social Security, uh, waiting till full retirement age, and I guess 66, 67 now, or going all the way to 70. What are the pros and cons of taking it earlier versus later? Well, first of all, I think Americans have to learn that their decision when to retire and when to claim Social Security benefits are two different decisions. Just because you retire doesn't mean you need to claim Social Security benefits right now. Now, certainly you can claim benefits as early as 62, and that may be a good decision for you, but you have to realize that if you claim benefits early, your benefits are going to be reduced by 25 to 30 percent for the rest of your life because you're claiming benefits before your full retirement age. Your full retirement age, as you mentioned, is anywhere from 66 to 67, depending on the year you were born. The other thing about claiming benefits early, if you continue to work, and this surprises a lot of people, if you claim benefits before your full retirement age and you have earnings from a job or self-employment, you may temporarily lose some or even all of your Social Security benefits if you make too much money. And this year, that too much money is about $20,000 a year. So my number one rule is, if you plan to keep working, do not claim Social Security benefits early. Just not worth it. At that point, you probably want to wait till your full retirement age for two reasons. You would get 100% of all those benefits that you have worked so hard for and paid so much for in the form of FICA payroll taxes throughout your career. And if you wait till your full retirement age or later, the earnings restrictions go away, meaning you could continue to work if you like and make as much money as you want, and it will not reduce your Social Security benefits. But for those people who are patient and who are healthy enough and wealthy enough to wait, they can earn this huge benefit of 8% per year for every year they postpone claiming their social security beyond their full retirement age up until age 70. So let me give you an example. Say my full retirement age is 66. And at 66, I was entitled to 
$6,000 a month. Now, I could claim at 62, but if I do, I'm not going to get that $2,000 a month. I'm going to get $1,500 a month, 75% of my best benefit for the rest of my life. Or if I was willing to wait up until age 70, I'm earning these delayed retirement credit of 8% a year. That means four years, a total of an extra 32% if I wait until 70. And here's a mind-blowing example. The difference between me claiming my benefits as soon as possible at age 62 versus waiting until age 70 means I would increase my monthly Social Security benefits by 76% for the rest of my life. As a certified financial planner, there is no investment I can recommend to you that is guaranteed to increase 76% over an eight-year period. Yet a lot of people, I mean, the people who take uh, Social Security beginning at age 70 is a very small percentage, I think 2% or something like that. So it's, most small, people it, it's small but growing. It's up to about 4% now. And frankly, it's the wealthier people who can afford to wait. Either they continue to work so they have another source of income or they have other assets like an IRA or a 401k that they can tap in the interim and essentially buy themselves this big bonus of 8% a year in delayed retirement credits. Yeah. Now, this year was the largest cost of living adjustment in about 40 years, uh, with inflation going up at roughly 8%, maybe even more than that today. We should expect major cost of living increases going forward. Is that something you're missing out on if you don't file for Social Security early? I'm so glad you asked that question, Jordan. It's a great question. You're right. The cost of living adjustment for 2022 is 5.9%. That is the biggest increase we have seen in 40 years. Now, here's the good news. Anybody who is 62 or older in 2022, that means you're eligible for Social Security. Even if you do not claim your Social Security benefit, you will get that 5.9% cost of living adjustment for 2022, along with every other cost of living adjustment up to the time you actually claim benefits. So I tell people, you do not need to rush and claim Social Security this year just because you think it's the only way to cash in on that big cost of living adjustment. You don't have to do a thing. It will be automatically baked into your future benefit. Now, if you're not yet 62, you will not be able to benefit from this year's COLA. But as you mentioned, inflation has come roaring back. So it's quite possible that next year cost of living adjustment might be even higher. So of course, people would say that's nice, but my cost of living has in fact gone up the cost of food and gasoline and rent and so on. So maybe I'm getting more money, but it's, I'm still falling further behind with inflation being more than 5.9%. Well, at the important part of Social Security, it is one of the few forms of retirement income that is cost of living adjustment. Even if you could argue, gee, it's not a big enough COLA to to offset all the extra dollars I'm paying for my regular cost of living, you're getting something. If you have lucky enough to have a pension from a traditional private sector company, you most likely don't have a cost of living adjustment. Truly, the only ones who get it are federal retirees, some other uh, state and public employees, but otherwise, Social Security is the only benefit that has a cost of living adjustment. 
So what is the situation with pensions now? They still exist, just a lot of, most people don't get new pensions, but what percentage of the retired population is getting a pension these days, just roughly? About 18%. And there's always this misnomer that everybody used to have pensions. That's not true. Even in the golden age of pensions when they were at their peak in the early 80s, uh, maybe about 50% of people worked in businesses that had pensions, but often those people didn't stay long enough with that employer, which was often 20, 25 years or more, to be vested in that pension. So just because they worked for an employer that had one didn't mean they actually got a pension. And a lot of them are probably municipal. They're, they're government workers because the government pensions are much bigger than private pensions these days, I think. Well, certainly um, public sector employees like uh, federal retirees, state and local workers, you know, often they were trading their salaries for a very generous benefit package in the form of pensions and at the time retiree health benefits. It was a trade-off. Um, you also had big private sector companies like you know, GM and IBM. They had these wonderful pensions. But what really changed the pension world was when healthcare became so expensive, corporations basically got out of the benefit business. It was just too expensive for them when they were competing with global corporations that didn't have the same legacy costs they did. So today there's a labor shortage. There's like 11 million unfilled jobs out there, and employers have to compete for workers. Are more benefits, maybe some kind of retirement benefits, going to come back in order for companies to attract the workers they need? Well, we have something called the SECURE Act that was passed a few years ago that was beefing up some um, retirement protections. And there's a a 2.0 version going through Congress right now. The big gap in retirement benefits is small businesses. And about half of all Americans work for small businesses that don't have retirement plans. So even though some people have very lucrative 401k plans with employer matches, that's great if you work for a big company that has one. But if you're working for a small business, you could be on your own. And so that's the next step is how to get more employers, small businesses, into the business of funding retirement plans for their workers. So the SECURE Act did make it easier for small businesses to set up plans. Has that, in fact, resulted in many more plans with small businesses? Well, a lot of it is being phased in. I think the greatest change we've seen over the past 20 years was the result of the Pension Protection Act, which made, and that was back in like 96, I think, that made 401k enrollment automatic. That was one of the biggest changes ever. Prior to that, when you went to work for a private employer, you had to sign up for their 401k plans. Increasingly, when you go to work, you are going to be automatically defaulted into that 401k plan unless you say no. And then there are the other automatic features that you are 
automatically going to be contributing 33% of your pay and it's automatically going to be escalated by 1% a year. Now, each time you can say no to that, but we encourage people don't do that because the best way to save for retirement is to never see it. If it goes directly out of your paycheck into your 401k plan and if your employer has some sort of matching contribution, that is your ticket to a secure retirement in addition to your Social Security benefit. Inside people's 401ks, do you think people are invested too conservatively or too aggressively? What is the your view? Because I've got these choices from GICs and money market funds all the way to aggressive and foreign funds. Do you think people have the balance pretty well right or not? Well, again, it's hard to say across the board. I think one of those other great innovations that came as part of that Pension Protection Act was the introduction of target date funds that basically all you had to say is, gee, I will retire around 2040 and I can put all my money into a 2040 mutual fund that will be appropriately diversified as far as stock and bond mutual funds that's appropriate for my age and my expected retirement date. Um, it's it's better than not being diversified. It may not be the perfect solution, but most people never wanted to be their own pension plan manager. They got thrown into 401ks. That's the way they save for their future. Um, they wanna make it as easy as possible. And if putting all your money in the target date fund gets you to the right place, well, that's the way to go. Very good, we're gonna take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin an expert on retirement uh, issues and Social Security specifically. She's a certified financial planner. She's a contributing editor at Investment News. Uh, she's done a book on uh, Social Security benefits uh, called Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits. Uh, the website for that is MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin. She's a certified financial planner. She's a contributing editor at Investment News and author of a book about Social Security benefits. And you can find out more at her website, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. Welcome back to the show, Mary Beth. Thanks, Jordan. Some people are saying a solution to the Social Security problem is to have no limits on how much is being taxed and to reduce the amount that wealthy people would receive. They'd pay in more and get less, but that would kind of change the whole nature of the program. How would that change it and what would be the political impact of that? Well, one of the reasons Social Security is so popular and such a political topic, um, powerful political topic, is the fact virtually every American who works pays into the system and can expect to get something out of it. If you said, for example, oh, you rich people don't need this money in retirement, so we're going to let you pay more in, in form of payroll taxes, but get less out, then you run the risk of it becoming like welfare. And when that happens, it loses its political clout. It was designed in 1935 by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who basically said, this is an earned benefit. It's a contract between the workers who pay money in while they're working and the federal government who will pay out their benefits when they retire. That is the essence of Social Security, and I think it's critical that that's retained. I mean, even in the latest budget that President Biden put forward, uh, he wanted this minimum tax on millionaires and basically raise uh, individual tax rates and make capital gains the same as regular income rates. Basically, the rich aren't paying their fair shares, the way they would put it, and they would say the same with Social Security. Do you think that has the possibility of, of does that have a resonance in Congress? Well, I think the problem is you can only go back to the same well so many times. And if you're saying this group of taxpayers should pay higher tax rates, um, you know, they should pay higher rates than they do on investment capital now. Uh, these people are already paying more for Medicare premiums, which are tied to their income. There's talk about these people should be paying uh, more for Social Security benefits. Yeah, they can probably afford it, but I don't think that's going to be the solution. Um, I do think it's really important that if people looking specifically at Social Security, which is an earned benefit, I pay my money in, I get a benefit out, I think it's critical to keep that link. And if we break that link, you're going to pay it in, but you're not going to get it out it's not going to be the same system down the road that we have all been relying on for the past 85 years. You have a chapter in your book called Disappearing Strategies. Uh, what have been some of the strategies that used to exist that don't exist anymore under new laws? Well, if we go back to um, 2016, there were two major changes. It used to be, and this applied mainly to married couples, that once I reached my full retirement age, say I'm the husband, I've got the bigger benefit, maybe I have a stay-at-home wife. In the old days, when I reached my full retirement age, I could do something like, I am going to file for my benefits, so I trigger a spousal benefit for my wife, 
and a spousal benefit is worth up to half of my benefit as the worker. And then I'm immediately going to suspend my own benefit. She gets her check. I suspend mine. It keeps growing by 8% a year to the maximum amount at age 70. Well, unfortunately, we can't do that anymore. That away went away in 2016. There is one remaining strategy for married couples and, in some cases, eligible divorced spouses. Uh, but it depends on when you're born. The magic birthday is January 1st, 1954. If you were born on or before that date, that means by the end of this year, you'd be at least 69 years old and you're married, you may have another strategy. It's called restricting your claim to spousal benefits. Here's how it works. And I'll give you my, my own example. I was born in December 1954. I can't do anything fancy. But my husband was born in 1952. So when I reached my full retirement age of 66, I filed for my Social Security benefits. So I received my monthly check. And in addition, it triggered a spousal benefit for my husband. My husband then used this strategy saying, I want to restrict my claim to spousal benefits. That essentially means don't pay me my own retirement benefit. Let it keep growing by 8% a year until I turn 70. But in the meantime, give me half of my wife's full retirement age benefit. That's what he's done over the last couple of years. He's just turned 70. He has now applied for his full benefits, which are now 32% higher than they would have been if he had claimed at his full retirement age. The other thing to note about that age 70, you never want to wait beyond age 70 to file for Social Security, even if you're still working, even if you don't need the money, because those delayed retirement credits stop at age 70. So there is no incentive to wait beyond 70 to claim your benefits. Yes. Let's talk about um, divorce a little bit and what happens when a couple becomes divorced. If the, uh, the spouse remarries, they can lose the Social Security benefits of their ex. Is that correct? Right. Let me go through the basic rules. Now, there are more than 2,700 rules that govern your Social Security benefits, and I promise not to go all through them. But there's a bunch of exceptions, and a lot of the exceptions apply to divorced spouses. So first of all, to be able to claim benefits on an ex, here's the rule. You must have been married at least 10 years before getting divorced. Think of it this way. There must be at least a decade between I do and I don't. You're one day short, you'll get squat. The other thing to remember is you must be currently single. Now, maybe you married somebody else in between and that subsequent marriage ended in death or divorce. But to be able to collect on an ex, you must be currently single. Now, all the basic rules apply after that. Um, let's say I'm uh, 66 years old. I'm uh, divorced. I was married at least 10 years. I'm currently single. Um, if I had been born before 1954, I could say, don't pay me my retirement benefit. Let it keep growing 
by 8% a year up until age 70. But in the meantime, I want to collect my ex, half of my ex-husband or half of my ex-wife's benefit. It does not take away from the ex's benefits. If they have remarried, it does not take away from their new family's benefits. And they don't even need to know about it. You just go through the Social Security Administration to file as an eligible divorce spouse. Now, if you're born after that January 1st, 1954, you can't do anything fancy. Whenever you file for Social Security, you will be paid the largest benefit to which you're entitled at that age, whether it's on your own record or as a spouse. But here's the really interesting part that so many divorced people don't realize. If your ex dies, you may be eligible for a survivor benefit. And here's how the math works. A spousal benefit while your ex is alive is worth up to half of his or her full retirement age benefit. A survivor benefit once your ex dies is worth 100% of what your ex was collecting or entitled to collect when they died. So yes, your ex is worth twice as much dead than alive, but you probably knew that anyway. And here's the other exception. I told you you had to be single, currently unmarried, to claim benefits as a divorced spouse on a living ex. But if you wait till 60 or later to remarry, you can collect survivor benefits on a dead ex, even if you're married to somebody else at the time. So the two rules for divorced spouses are there must be at least a decade between I do and I don't. And if you're going to take a second walk down the aisle, wait till 60 to do it. You also have something called the do-over strategy. What is the do-over strategy? There's actually two do-over strategies. The first one is anyone has a right to change their mind about claiming Social Security within the first 12 months of claiming it. They can withdraw their application for benefits, but there's a catch. They have to pay back any benefits they have received. And if anyone is collecting on their records, such as a spouse or a minor dependent child, you have to pay those benefits back too. Why would you do it? It wipes the slate clean and resets the clock as if you have never claimed Social Security. So at a later date, when you're older and entitled to a bigger benefit, you can collect that bigger amount. Now there's a second option. If you miss that 12 month window or if you don't wanna pay back your benefits, now you have to wait until your full retirement age or later, at which point you can suspend your benefits. You don't have to pay anything back, but all those checks you've been receiving, stop. Why would you wanna do that? Now those benefits are going to start earning delayed retirement credits of 8% a year up until age 70. So it's a way to perhaps reverse a hasty decision that you claimed early. And this way you'll be able to grow your benefits for a future bigger benefit. I know you speak to a lot of investment advisors. Um, Is this something that most investment advisors are equipped to help people figure out because there's a lot of complex rules here on when to take Social Security and all these things we've been talking about. Are financial advisors interested or able to help people make these decisions correctly? Uh, It depends on the financial advisor you work with. Some are very interested and some are very capable. Others have a general idea. And the ones who don't, if they're smart, they write to me with their questions and I tell them what they and their clients should do. 
What are their misperceptions of the advisors who don't kind of get it? Well, I think in the old days, there was just this assumption, I should grab my benefits as soon as I can, particularly wealthier clients. Hey, what are they, greens fees? It's no big deal. But over the past decade, particularly when we were living in this virtually zero interest rate environment, it was really hard to argue against, hey, if I wait, I get 8% a year. And if I took that money early and stuck it in the bank, I'd get zero. For those people who were healthy enough, in other words, you got to be around to collect that bigger benefit later, and wealthy enough, what do I do for money in between? It can be a smoking hot deal to wait up until age 70. Not the right decision for everybody, but very valuable for those who can afford to wait. One big problem for retirees today is low interest rates. I mean, rates have gone up as the Federal Reserve has raised rates, and they're going to go up a bit. But still, the vast majority of bonds are 2% or less, and money market funds remain to be at zero. What should people who are retired who have some capital, where should they put it to get a decent yield today without taking too much risk? You know, it's really tough, and that's why delaying Social Security benefits to get this 8% has been so popular over the past decade. Savings are are paying virtually nothing. Uh, bonds have not been doing great. We're now facing high inflation. Um, it's really tough because retirees really need to keep a lot of liquid capital for a couple of years. Um, and then they can have buckets of money where they've got some uh, predictable income, maybe in a bond ladder. And then they should always consider themselves long-term investors because uh, retirement can last 30 years or more. So a part of their money should always be invested in the stock market. Yeah, very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin. She's a certified financial planner. She's a contributing editor at Investment News, an expert on retirement planning and Social Security. She's got a book out, which is called Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits. You can find out more at her website, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. Your host. My guest this hour is Mary Beth Franklin, a CFP, contributing editor at Investment News. Uh, she's come out with a book about Social Security called Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits, 
website for that, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. Welcome back to the show, Mary Beth. Thanks, Jordan. Talk about Social Security. Let's talk about Medicare briefly. Now, some people would say that Medicare is actually the bigger crisis coming much sooner, that the payroll taxes coming in aren't close to covering the Medicare benefits being paid out. What is the outlook for Medicare? You're absolutely right. The Medicare trust fund um, is due to be exhausted around 2026. So Congress needs to get busy on this. And I think they will just end up authorizing general tax revenues to fund some of these Medicare uh, costs. Um, the Medicare is not fully self-funding the way Social Security is. It's heavily uh, funded from general tax revenues. But I think from a consumer standpoint, Medicare is the bigger shock to new retirees. I think a lot of people assume they get to 65, they sign up for Medicare, hey, I'll never pay another dime for healthcare. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Medicare is very valuable and does pay a big chunk of medical bills in retirement. But what shocks retirees is how much you pay in monthly premiums for Medicare Part B, which covers your doctor's fees and office visits and things, and Medicare Part D prescription drugs is tied to your income in retirement. The higher your income, the more you are going to pay for the exact same services. So if this is going to become part of general revenues, like I said it already is, that could dramatically increase the deficit. If, if uh, every year we have more and more people getting on Medicare, uh, isn't that going to have a huge impact on the deficit? Well, it will have a big impact but the deficit is so large at this point i i couldn't hazard a guess what the percentage impact would be on the deficit we do have a lot of deficit funding going on right now there also talk about lowering the age for medicare which is currently 65 people have talked about 60 or of course bernie sanders talks about medicare for all how would that work out well, it'd certainly be more expensive, and I don't think there's a lot of political traction actually for lowering the eligibility age for Medicare. Now, the issue, issue we started at the, the top of the program talking about Social Security and reform, Social Security and Medicare really go hand in hand, and I think part of the reform effort is going to look like what is the nature of work in the 21st century compared to what it looked like in the 20th century? And if, for example, you'd said, um, well, let's raise the full retirement age to 70 instead of 66 or 67, and maybe you can't get early benefits at 62, well, there's still gonna be a gap. You know, maybe, uh, maybe it's easier to get disability earlier, and if you get disability to get Medicare as well. There's so many major issues that we have to look at in this form. For example, um, women who take time out of the workforce to care for their kids or elderly family members, should they earn the equivalent of Social Security credits towards a future Social Security benefits? Lots of big issues facing Congress over the next few years. What has been the impact of the pandemic on both Social Security uh, and Medicare. I mean, a lot of people died. We've had almost a million people die. A lot of people, their income was cut dramatically. So that would mean less payroll taxes being paid in and maybe some people collecting Social Security earlier. So what has been the impact overall of the pandemic on the two of them? 
Well, initially there was great concern that, oh my God, 20 million people out of work, they're not paying FICA taxes, their employers aren't paying their FICA taxes. What is going to happen to the Social Security Trust Fund? Well, it turned out it wasn't nearly as bad as anticipated because many of those people who lost their jobs were the lower earning workers that frankly didn't pay a lot into the Social Security system. And many of the people who kept their jobs were those higher income white collar workers who kept paying into the system. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, um, yes, many elderly people died. We don't have full statistics at this point of what impact that would have on the number of Social Security beneficiaries. And some people did choose to claim benefits earlier than they may had planned otherwise because they either lost, lost their jobs or they chose to retire early because of health care concerns. But I've seen two back-to-back -back studies that to me were fascinating, is that when you look from a financial standpoint alone, retirees came through the pandemic in such better shape than workers. They had guaranteed income through Social Security. They uh, had Medicare coverage. They hopefully had figured out other ways to create retirement income, either through pensions or drawing down savings or whatever. And they weren't worrying about losing their jobs, as opposed to younger workers who were often very vulnerable, losing their jobs, not being able to contribute further to the retirement savings, um, having big debt issues. So. I think the pandemic showed how valuable guaranteed income and retirement is, and it should really throw a spotlight on how important Social Security is and why we have to maintain it um, and as we reform it to make it reflect the current workforce's need. Has the pandemic changed people's views of how long they work? I mean, people are now used to working from home, so it takes much less stress for commuting and everything involved. Do you think a lot of people are going to work longer because of the lessons they learned from the pandemic? Well, this same study I was just quoting to you, you know, this is all so new and it's in a state of flux. We hear, oh, the great resignation, people are all quitting their jobs because they're fed up and now we're starting to hear, well, maybe it's not the great resignation, it's the great realignment as people just take other jobs. I think there was a period of time for those people who could give up the commute and yet keep the paycheck by working from home. That sounded great. And particularly older workers who say, what else am I going to do? I can't travel. I can't go visit my grandkids. I might as well work. Well, that was sort of year one and two of the pandemic. And now you're getting some stats that are showing people saying, nah, I'm done. So I don't know how much carryover we're going to have from the pandemic of people really working that much longer. It, it's a very individual situation depending on the job title, depending on the industry. Some people will continue to work and others will just decide it's time to pack it in. But one thing I want to tell people when you hear about, gee, the Social Security Trust Fund's going to run out of money. Maybe I should grab my Social Security benefits as soon as possible so I get as much as I can. I caution people against claiming Social Security benefits early out of fear. It's like selling your stock portfolio in a down market because you're worried about it. 
all you have done is locked in your loss. It's the same thing if you choose to claim Social Security benefits early because you're worried it won't be there in the future. You have just guaranteed a loss. And if in the worst case scenario, you took your benefits four or five years early and took a 25 or 30% haircut, and then Congress couldn't fully fund your benefits, you're gonna take another haircut. I don't think that's a smart decision. In the two minutes or so we have left, why don't you kind of summarize uh, the current situation for retirement and what people should be aware of in, in making the Social Security benefit decisions? I think people should realize that Social Security is a very solid base for what I think of as a retirement income pyramid. It's the base of that pyramid. On top of that are your retirement savings in the form of 401ks or IRAs or maybe pensions. But for a lot of Americans, they're going to have to find other sources of income, maybe home equity in the form of a home equity loan or reverse mortgage or maybe selling the big house and moving to something smaller and cheaper and banking the difference. Increasingly, we're going to see retirees working maybe part-time, partly for the money and partly for the social connection. And then there's everything else. Maybe you inherited assets from your parents. Maybe you have a rental property. All those pieces are going to fit into your personal retirement income pyramid. And you probably need some professional help through a financial planner that can help you figure out the most efficient ways to tap those assets in the most tax efficient way. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Mary Beth Franklin. She's a certified financial planner. She's a contributing editor at Investment News, speaking about retirement and Social Security issues. She has a new book out called Maximizing Social Security Retirement Benefits, which you can find out more about at her website, which is maximizing social security benefits.com thanks so much i think people have learned a lot at the money answer show today thank you mary beth thank you and thanks again we'll be back next week with another edition of the money answer show goodbye for now thank you for joining jordan goodman and the money answer show if you have a question for jordan please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com and be sure to tune in every monday at 12 p.m pacific standard time right here on voice america business see you next week